It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Hello and welcome into another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here with one of my favorite guests, Arif Hassan from ZoneCoverage.com. Arif, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing quite well. Arif, uh, I've noticed on Twitter.com over the past few weeks that uh, you have caused quite a stir with some of your analysis of Case Keenum. And just from uh, having the opportunity on this podcast and on the radio to talk with fans on a regular basis, I think that uh, there is some realistic fans out there about Keenum and his talent level, and then I think others not so much. So what I want to get into with you is trying to figure out exactly what the Vikings have here in Case Keenum and what it means for their matchup against the New Orleans Saints. So let's start with the last couple of games where Keenum was less impressive, I would say, especially against Green Bay and Chicago. In your mind, Arif, is that reason to have some concern about the Vikings offense going into the playoffs? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, you and I have both talked about sort of the specter of regression to the mean, uh, and that kind of, you know, presumes, you know, what Case Keenum's true mean is. Um, but this is, it's kind of what it looks like, and it's very easy to, to make arguments, some of which might actually be true, about why his performances are subpar, but, you know, that doesn't mean anything in terms of the talent level or going into the playoffs. Like I get, you know, those reasons, you know, one of those games was cold, the games didn't matter because they had, you know, pretty substantive leads, so you play conservatively. But I do think there's a lot there that's that's really worth interrogating. A lot of it has to do with kind of the stuff um, that the Vikings really wanted him to do kind of midway through the season when he was you know, genuinely getting better at some of this stuff, including how inaccurate he was throwing the ball deep. Uh, I think that, you know, throughout the season, he's actually been pretty poor on third and long, but the Vikings are so rarely in third and long, it hasn't really bothered them too much. I think he's like 29th in the league among quarterbacks and converting third and long. Um, and that looked particularly bad over the last couple of weeks. Uh, and the Vikings offense, when it has been going, um, like you said over the past couple of weeks, it relies a lot on receivers generating stuff after the catch, which is good, especially, you know, if it works. But, you know, you head, in, head into the playoffs against defenses that are multi-capable, uh, and, and you're going to want to have more than one kind of attack. Yeah, I think uh, one thing that 
people got a first impression on Keenum was that game against Tampa Bay where he was launching it down the field and they sort of thought that that was Case Keenum and he had the other game against Washington where he completed some passes too but by every measure that I can find whether it's your air yards or anything else like that or his uh, yards on uh, completions on throws that go over 20 yards I mean you're seeing very poor numbers working the ball down the field and I guess my question is if he is this sort of game manager or system quarterback or whatever type of label we're putting on him how does that play in the playoffs? Because historically, we haven't seen too many quarterbacks that are limited in this way. So do you think that he can overcome some of those limitations because the supporting cast is so good? Um, I think he can. I mean, the question is, you know, kind of like how likely is it? Uh, and that's a kind of a question I think that has to do a lot with, you know, who they're, who they're playing against. If we're going to use maybe the Saints as an example, they've got – a pretty good set of defensive backs, you know, including sort of the headlining rookie, Marshawn Lattimore, who have a really good ability to contest catches deep downfield, which is kind of what, like you said, Keenan was relying on in order for when that deep pass was working, in order for that deep pass to work. And so if the Vikings, you know, get behind, it's the Saints that have been pretty well. There's a good chance the Vikings at some point will be behind. If that point is late in the game and they have to make more aggressive throws, I have no doubt that Keenum has the kind of attitude and, and risk-taking sort of genes in him to, to take those risks. The question is, you know, when those when those passes are going deep, Stephon Diggs and, and Adam Thielen, who are both really excellent at tracking the deep ball, will have to go up, you know, against Marcus Williams, against Marshawn Lattimore, uh, for those contested catches. And it's just, it's not the same as going up against, you know, like Demarius Randall uh, for a deep pass. And so that's really kind of the question that you have. And it's kind of a good thing the Vikings haven't been put in that kind of situation because it indicates that they've been pretty dominant. But without that, we don't really have much evidence of what happens when you have to take those kinds of aggressive throws but still maintain kind of a level of precision that will allow you to you know, continue marching down the field and score those final points. Yeah, it's really incredible how often the Vikings have been able to play from ahead. And you can see all the signs on paper, too, uh, the amount of time that they're able to put in a second tight end in the game or the play-action stats. I mean, that's another thing that – uh, Keenum relies on a lot is that the Vikings are uh, last I checked they're sixth in the NFL in yards per attempt when they go with play action but if you're in a closer game or you're in third and long or you're late in the game and you're down that pretty much goes out the window because no one is going to bite on a play action when you're losing by 10 points in, in the third quarter or something like that it seems to me Arif that this game against the Saints, in order for Case Keenum to succeed, it requires some old-school John Madden-level analysis of saying they need to pound the ball up the middle with Latavius Murray, and they need to control the clock and keep Drew Brees off the field. I mean, it, it, I, I know that that's a fit for a video game from uh, 2001, but um, I, I think it's right when it comes to this matchup. Yeah, no, I think so. Uh, if you can kind of reduce the number of chances that uh, that, that Breeze has to, you know, create damage and, and minimize, like, sort of the difference in what that possible point differential can be, you know, I think that's, that's, a, that's a chance you have to take, and it's kind of interesting. Most of the time that I'm a, an advocate of reducing the number of possessions by, like, grinding up the clock, running the ball, etc., it's usually when a team is an underdog because reducing the number of possessions increases volatility, and that volatility is good for underdogs, bad, you know, for overdogs, and that's not really the situation here, but I do think 
that there's a good possibility for the Vikings to grab a lead early on or at some point, obviously, and then kind of just grind everything to a halt and gum up the works and make things super slow to prevent as many chances for that lead to change. Because, you know, I think the defense can stay on the field a little bit longer than, than a lot of defenses um, if need be. But you don't want to, you know, you don't want to force them into that situation. And that defense can really operate at a prime level when, uh, when they know that they can put, you know, the Saints in third and long and they can rush the passer and all that. Uh, and the Saints are forced to try and get points. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that especially sort of once you secure even just a small lead, just kind of grinding everything to a halt, I think is a really smart strategy. And it has like sort of the additional benefit of, Reducing like those opportunities on on third and long where you can't rely on play action, um, or late in the game where you can't rely on play action to get get those yards. Well, something that's uh, been in my mind a lot over this last week since uh, the end of the regular season with Case Keenum is just how much the playoffs could matter to the team's evaluation. I think you and I, Arif, are probably on the same page here, thinking that almost no matter what Case Keenum does. I, I've said before, if he wins the Super Bowl, I guess you can give him a contract. But short of that, or even if they win the Super Bowl, paying him twenty to $25 million a year is probably not the direction that this team wants to go. Uh, do you think that they should judge Case Keenum based on how well he can perform in these big situations that we've talked about all year. What's going to happen when he gets to the playoffs? Is he really going to be able to beat Drew Brees? Well, the the route to the Super Bowl looks pretty darn difficult as far as what quarterbacks he would be beating. Drew Brees, potentially Matt Ryan, and then maybe Tom Brady or Ben Roethlisberger. How much would it matter to you if he performs really well or really poorly as far as his future in Minnesota? Just want to let everyone know about the purple podcast big game special edition powered by sprint courtney judd and i will be talking about all things associated with the big game we'd like to thank sprint for their partnership with this special edition podcast and to learn more about how you can get sprint's incredible unlimited plan that includes hulu visit a local sprint store today sprint it works for me Uh, with regards to sort of his future in Minnesota, I think that they should, I mean, how his performance should play a role, um, but it really should be specific to his performance and not team performance. Uh, and even then, you kind of want to be a little bit careful. I and mean, we saw what the Ravens did with Joe Flacco and how that has absolutely not worked out. Not that Keenan would sort of command the same money, um, but, you know, you have to be careful. You remember, like, you know, Trent Dilfer uh, is really a good example. They moved on from him despite you know, winning the Super Bowl. And so you have to make sure that you're taking a look at sort of what his performance brought you and not, you know, whether or not the team won, right? And so uh, to that extent, uh, if, you know, if he performs well in the playoffs, especially, you know, against that Saints defense or uh, even, you know, that Atlanta defense, I think, is a little bit underrated or if they go up against the Steelers, that defense, you know, those defenses are not bad. <laughs> so... Uh, if he performs well, I think that that speaks well to the Vikings, uh, you know, being put in a position where they want to re-sign him. I do think that kind of no matter what, you don't want to put yourself into a hole where you don't have a legitimate starting option to take over if in the next year he he does, you know, kind of take a, a step backwards. So, yeah, they, I think the playoffs should play maybe not an outsized role in determining whether or not they should re-sign him, but a significant role uh, in in figuring out whether or not 
you know, he's going to be their guy moving forward. See, I look at it a little bit differently than that. I think you should already be 98% there with whether you want him back or not. I mean, you probably don't know his price, but by now I think you know exactly what his spectrum is. That's the way I've come to think about quarterbacks, especially with Alex Smith leading the league or first or second in quarterback rating this year thinking about the spectrum of what a quarterback can do based on his circumstances. So when things aren't good, Case Keenum is a guy who puts up a rating of like 75. And when things are really good, he does pretty well, but not top-tier performance. Like just, for example, Matthew Stafford, when things aren't good, he's still okay, but not great. And when they're really good, his stats are very, very good, but also not to the very, very top of the league. And where Drew Brees, if everything's going, he's one of the best quarterbacks of all time. So you've got this sort of, that's, that's the way I've come to think of it. And so you should kind of know that, all right, this is a great performance by Case Keenum this year on paper, his final numbers, but some of the shortcomings, if things go wrong, if one of your receivers gets hurt or your offensive line isn't as good that year or your running game isn't as good, then maybe he's not going to be at this level, so that's probably not a guy that you want to pay. I think that they should be almost all the way there with with the exception of, okay, he's amazing in the playoffs and, and that's just how it's going to be. Yeah, I think that's a good point. To me, uh, some of it comes from you're going to have a hundred more valuable dropbacks and I think a more interesting situation. Mm-hmm. One of the things I, I pointed out in, in my article is that we, we've got like 777 dropbacks of Case Keenum before he ever put on a Vikings uniform. Then we've got about uh, 480 more since then. And I think those 700-odd dropbacks were very meaningful, but there's a good argument. I, I don't think a great one, but a good argument that the 480 dropbacks we have right now uh, tell us more about who he is, which you know, may be the case. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're good dropbacks. It might mean that you know there's a different sort of statistical problem here in evaluating them. Um, but when you add 100 more that you get from the playoffs against teams that you're pretty confident are good defenses, that I think gives you more information to put sort of those 770 dropbacks in context, to put those additional 480 dropbacks in context. And I think they're more important because I think it, it makes sense to, you know, maybe dismiss, you know, sort of the, the Pittsburgh game and kind of discount the Tampa Bay game. And, and, and you know, there's, there's you know, a couple of situations where it makes sense to discount, you know, a couple of the dropbacks early in the season. And so these, these late-season ones where – you know, he is already dealing with a running back who's gotten hurt, stuff like that. Um, can still give us, I think, pretty significant information on the kind of quarterback he is and whether or not some of the traits that we've seen on film that are potentially positive, like we saw, uh, I think, in the in the Rams game, in the Browns game, kind of in the second half, are ones that he can draw upon in, in tight situations. And, of course, tight situations is another way of saying small sample size. But uh, it, it's something that... Uh, with a hundred additional dropbacks, I think can really inform your evaluation, especially because there's a lot of reasons to maybe discount some of the earlier ones. Yeah, I think the sample size point is what makes Case Keenum so interesting, but also so difficult. And this is kind of the case for many different quarterbacks that we see. You know, Derek Carr has 
one real good year with a great supporting cast, and then the next year none of his receivers can catch the ball. They sign Cordero Patterson and ask him to run routes, which is not a very good plan and certainly a a fireable offense. And the uh, offensive line doesn't stay 100% healthy. Marshawn Lynch doesn't fit that well. And all of a sudden, Derek Carr is not a great quarterback anymore. And maybe you could just sort of chunk guys into different categories like can handle when things go wrong, cannot handle when things go wrong. But it's such an extremely difficult evaluation with these quarterbacks. And Keenum is even evidence of that with the fact that he wasn't drafted. So in in your mind, Arif, as uh, the Vikings will have a decision to make eventually here, what is the biggest challenge or what is the biggest reason in your mind that teams have such a hard time figuring out who's good and who's not at this position? Uh, it is. I mean, like, a, a lot of it has to do, and we, we, we kind of saw this, uh, you know, we, we see this basically every year coming into the draft, too. I think maybe the best example uh, might be Johnny Manziel, um, who, you know, there's a bunch of off-field stuff that kind of impacts his evaluation, too. Um, but, you know, his offense uh, at Texas A&M included Mike Evans. He was able to make a bunch of contested throws. didn't have to worry about accuracy. The offense itself, the air raid offense, was very friendly to quarterbacks. Um, and it's kind of a, a similar situation here where we, we kind of have to parse out what happens when he doesn't have, uh, you know, a player or any player doesn't have the kind of supporting cast that they need uh, in order to, to really be considered a high-powered offense versus, uh, you know, when that player does have kind of the best available talent around them. Uh, it, it, it is super difficult to parse out. And that's, I think, why we want to take a look at some of these uh, I don't want to say advanced statistics because it always like throws people off, but these more specific statistics about certain situations, like you know how often, for example, on intermediate throws, uh, is Case Keenum and, and and his receivers how often are they forced to break tackles? Uh, you know that's something that we could probably grab from a tracking organization like Pro Football Focus, but we don't really have on hand for us right now. And I think that that's pretty good evidence, right? Because if he's, if they're forced to break a lot of tackles or if they're tackled a lot and they don't generate yards after the catch, that'll tell us what happens, you know, when, say, Stephon Diggs may get hurt again or when Adam Thielen, uh, you know, might might not have, you know, as good of a year or might get injured, you know, or something along those lines. And you're forced to rely on someone who really could, really needs to take advantage of space, but Jerry's right. Um, you know, that kind of statistic will probably tell us you know, those sorts of things. But I think besides acknowledging, hey, they've got a great supporting cast and, and taking a look at some of the film-based traits, it is really difficult to parse out uh, these differences. Now let me switch over to a guy that uh, we have no trouble deciding where he stands in the NFL, in Drew Brees, and what the Vikings are going up against. Just before we recorded this, Arif, uh, because I have a robust social life, I watched every throw of Drew Brees week one against the Vikings, And, uh, you know, I think he played really well in that game, actually. You know, in my mind, it was, well, the Vikings just beat their faces in and, you know, it really wasn't that close. But they were in the red zone a few times and made some uncharacteristic mistakes like running three times in a row in the red zone or trying to throw a pass to Adrian Peterson, which was like a lifetime ago, right? But... He made throws against Mike Zimmer's defense that I think work but are very difficult. Mike Zimmer realizes that if you want to throw a seam pass to a tight end, so be it. But good luck making that throw with safeties that close quickly, linebackers that cover a lot of ground. You've got to fit it into the tightest of tight windows. And Breeze did that in this game. They also used 
multiple tight ends. They used multiple running backs. I mean, I, I think that this, even though it's a big challenge to come to U.S. Bank Stadium, that Drew Brees, we can say, is going to make throws that other quarterbacks really have no chance of making. Yeah, it's kind of wild. Drew Brees, I think, is, is kind of in this unique category where when he puts up an elite season, it doesn't bat an eye just because it's maybe it's not quite to the level of Aaron Rodgers or, or Tom Brady, even though it's in the same kind of area code. And uh, and it's not like a, it's never a drop off where you're like, oh, you know, maybe he's falling behind or whatever. He's just like elite enough that he gets an automatic Pro Bowl vote and, you know, maybe some all pro consideration before you write in Tom Brady or something. Uh, and so he actually he doesn't get all that much analysis. I mean, there's a ton of analysis on, like, what Tom Brady does in the pocket, which throws he's best at, what he does at those receivers, ton of analysis on where Aaron Rodgers likes to place the ball. I think we've heard back shoulder and Aaron Rodgers, like, a, a million times. But we don't really hear that much about Drew Brees, and he's really an astounding quarterback. And he, there was a graphic they put up on, uh, on the playoff game uh, on Sunday um, where, uh, where you know, you, you like lead to the league in completion rate three out of the four years, setting a record each of those times. The other one's Sam Bradford. And the difference is Sam Bradford had like an average depth of target of like six and a half yards. It was the lowest in the league that year. And Drew Brees is just dead average in, in depth of target. And he's throwing difficult intermediate passes right to his receivers. And he's getting helped out uh, this year by not having a ton of drops. I think he leads the league now in, in fewest drops. But he also, if you get rid of everybody's drops, he also leads the league in just accuracy rate, too. And he's still throwing the ball down the field. He's got 1,000 uh, yards on passes deep downfield. Um, yeah, he knows where his receivers like to catch the ball. He likes to throw it near their eyes because that's typically how Saints receivers are coached and it generates a lot of yards after the catch. Uh, and he's still pretty mobile at his age. I mean, he was doing a bunch of crazy stuff. Uh, against the Panthers where they, you know, had him roll out. And he's not, you know, threatening to scramble or anything like that, but his movement in the pocket is a lot more excitable than someone like Tom Brady. And it can really frustrate, I think, pass rushers that you're even as athletic as, as Hunter or Griffin because he's got such a quick release and he can get rid of the ball quickly and still place it uh, just right on the money to, to someone like Michael Thomas who – I mean, Michael Thomas is really good. He may have trouble with Xavier Rhodes, but he is really good. Yeah, incredible hands. And when there's somebody right on him, it doesn't ever seem to matter. It's kind of Adam Thielen-esque like that, where you feel like anytime the ball is going near him that he's just going to bring it in. And his catch percentages last year, I think it was like 76, and this year it was around 70%. So seven out of ten times Breeze is targeting him. He's bringing in the ball, which is uh, really impressive for a guy that does go downfield the short passes thing for breeze is amazing because he can do everything in in terms of leading a guy or dropping it off quick or misdirecting the defense with his eyes i mean it just seems like the guy is a reality bender like nobody could be this good at every aspect of playing quarterback and then this year They've tagged on Elvin Kamara, which just adds an entirely new element, and that's where I think they could offer some serious challenges to the Vikings' defense. Even though the Vikings' defense has been great at shutting down opposing running backs, I think this guy's just on a different level. Yeah, for sure. Like, I don't think it's the same as like shutting down Tariq Cohen or Theo Riddick, um, who both have you know a lot of talent. Um, Elvin Kamara is just is doing crazy stuff, and. and you know, with Mark Ingram, if you take a look at the final 12 games of the season when they finally got rid of Adrian Peterson and refocused their offense, I think they used fewer two tight end sets as well. 
um, and just focus on their two receivers, you know, Michael Thomas, Ted Ginn, uh, and their two running backs, Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram. The two of them combined over the course of a 16-game season would have had 3,500 scrimmage yards. It's, it's insane. Like, it's something I haven't really seen before. Uh, and, and they're both, you know, 1,200-yard backs uh, in, in those 12 games. Uh, and, and Kamara's ability um, is, is kind of stunning because, you know, he, a lot of people think of him as like this pass-catching running back, which is true. He's a good route runner. He can catch the ball well. He can get into space. He knows where to sit in zones. You know, that sort of thing. But he does run through contact pretty well, um, which I think is what separates him from someone like, you know, Tariq Cohen or, or Theo Riddick or, mm. or even like, you know, like Danny Woodhead. Um, you know, his ability to, I mean, like, there's a couple of instances where he's just like running through like the arm tackles of like Kwan Short, who is not a bad defensive tackle. He's one of the top five defensive tackles in the league this year, and he's running through those arm tackles where he ran through uh, Luke Keekley, of all people, just right through him. Uh, and, um, you know, this is something he, like, kind of consistently does, and it makes him kind of a different beast to handle than these shiftier, smaller running backs that we're used to catching a, a bunch of passes. So he really is kind of a different beast, and the Saints have no issue running him up the middle. Like, he's he's a pretty good just running back. Right. Yeah, 6.1 yards per carry, and even when he was slowed down a bit against New Orleans in the passing game, Drew Brees, it didn't matter for him. He just threw the ball down the field to everybody else. Um, last thing for you, Arif, what is the key for Zimmer's defense to slow down New Orleans' offense? I don't expect that they will entirely stop them because New Orleans has about the best de- uh, offense in the NFL, but slowing them down enough to give Case Keenum and the Vikings offense a chance, what do you think Zimmer will dial up? Um, well, Drew Brees is a veteran, but the people around him are not. I mean, Michael Thomas is a smart receiver. Alvin Kamara is a smart running back. Um, but, you know, I think that if you mix up the coverages a lot, I wouldn't, I, like, I wouldn't run a ton of zone defense against them. But running mixed man zone coverages to enable uh, blitzes from Anthony Barr and Eric Hendricks would be smart. Um, I think that they haven't... They haven't necessarily suffered against the Blitz, but I think more than most teams, the drop-off versus pressure has been greater. Brees has had a much higher propensity to throw interceptions against pressure, you know, versus, you know, when he's clean than most other quarterbacks drop-off. And so uh, I I think that that's a a pretty important thing to do. I think that man coverage will also kind of isolate the talent um, that, you know, someone like Eric Hendricks has covering a back out of the backfield for yeah, I mean, like Eric Hendricks has had some of his struggles, you know, securing tackles in the running game a little bit this year, but he's still been pretty astounding in coverage. And I think he's kind of one of those few backs, really, do, or linebackers who really does have the ability to cover in Alvin Kamara in coverage. So I think a lot of very specific man assignments where a bunch of people are shadowing a bunch of people that will also allow interesting blitzes that allow Harrison Smith to come off the edge or Anthony Barr to come up the middle. I think those will be key. And sticking away from a lot of the zone concepts. Uh, that, you know, in the middle of the year, you know, the Vikings were experimenting with a lot. Arif, awesome stuff as always. If you want to follow Arif on Twitter, don't, because that's a bad plan. He upsets people. Uh, but if you want to read his work, it's very good at uh, zonecoverage.com. Great coverage of uh, all Minnesota sports there. And uh, what what is the uh, Twitter handle, Arif? Uh, it's Arif Hassan NFL, A-R-I-F-H-A-S-A-N NFL. Okay, it just, I'm, I'm just warning people that if you like case keenum then it might be dangerous tread lightly 
<laughs> I, get, I get people angry. It was one of my New Year's resolutions. <laughs> to get people more angry. That's great. Uh, well, uh, just kidding. Uh, Arif is uh, a great follow on Twitter. Great work and always enjoy chatting with you. So thanks a lot, Arif. And thank you all to listening for uh, this episode of the Purple Podcast. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.